This week on the Bargworld Show, we talk about user-centric culture, what happens when you mess up, and learning to code in only 12 weeks. This week's show is sponsored by Proposify and Teacup Analytics. Welcome to the Bioag World Show, the podcast about all aspects of digital design, development and strategy. My name is Paul Boag and on this week's show we have Ryan Taylor, Andy Clark, Marcus Lillington and Sam Barnes. See, that was much more professional second time round. <laughs> yeah, have you turned your voice thing off? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I, I accidentally screwed up our first attempt at recording this. But there we go. You're, you're lucky I'm I'm doing to this week's show because I had to. I'm in physical pain because I had to drag myself away from Mass Effect Andromeda. <laughs> oh. And before before you start mocking me, please note that Ryan has been playing it all weekend as well because he right. made the mistake of adding me as a friend. So now I can see how much all this kind of oh, I've been looking after my children. What a load of bollocks that is! He's been playing Andromeda. <laughs> they're, in be- they're in bed when I play. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you'll notice that my time on it is only ever in the evenings. <clears throat> uh, no, I, I just I've been playing it consistently and constantly all bloody weekend. It's yeah. been wonderful. Surely it was a good weekend to go and fly your thingy, Paul. I know, and I felt a sense of enormous guilt. <laughs> I was torn between these two worlds, but ultimately, ultimately, Mass Effect Andromeda has got prettier graphics than outside. Than the world. Yes. The, world. Yeah, the games have now got better than the real world. Yeah. <laughs> I had the, a... the, the resolution's not quite as high, but the, the interestingness factor is much better. I had a, 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 I had a very special treat on Saturday afternoon, um, and the weather being how it was was a real um, bonus. Basically, <coughs> friends of ours um, live in London, and they said, oh, you've got to come to London for your, your joint 50th birthdays. So I've been going on about that for months now, haven't I? Um, anyway, the treat was to go to the bar on top of the Park Lane Hilton, 28 floors up, which has got win- oh, yeah. windows all the way around, and it was a perfect gin-clear day. And talking of gin, I drank quite a lot of it. Um, but, yes, fabulous. I should share the photographs somewhere. There is something quite special about I the, the, this time of year. I absolutely love just you know you get out of the misery of of winter, and and you're like, oh, it's the sun. I remember that. Indeed, you know, it was. We got that. Andy, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew, I knew it, I knew it. You can't help yourself. Ah, but Don't there is one know. thing that you have to try really hard to find down here, Marcus. Mm-hmm. Fever tree tonic. I don't like it. What? No. Are you what? No, what? You're not a Schweppes man, are you? Uh, I don't mind Schweppes, um, but Fever Tree tastes a bit odd, and I can't put my finger on what it is. I'll drink it, but it's like I don't get the. Whoa, it has to be Fever Tree tonic because um, I prefer it with no tonic. <laughs> if I'm honest, <laughs> uh, a dash of vermouth and an olive. Ju- <laughs> oh, okay. Well, very smooth. You're a very yes. smooth man. Well, ah, I try. One I of try. those things that's very hard to find, we've discovered, down here in Australia. You could become an importer. Well, actually, or not. <laughs> funny enough, we did joke about this because if we were going to do it, it wouldn't be Fever Tree, though, because um, we've discovered before we left this thing called BTW, Berman's Tonic Company. 
Okay. And if you Google it, you'll find it. And you can either buy it made up on Amazon or uh, they actually sell a bottle, which is like a syrup, and you mix it just with carbonated mineral water and make your own tonic. Ooh. And it's fab. It's absolutely okay. fab. So if we were going to import anything down here into Australia, gin-related, it would be BTW. But So Google it, people. It's brilliant. Well, no, but there we go. <laughs> what, well, you, I, I don't know where to go from that. Well, other than it's the first tip Andy's giving me this series that I might actually use. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about booze all day if you want to have a podcast about... Of course, because Ryan doesn't drink, does he? So uh, he'd be left out in the cold. Does he, do you not, Ryan? No, not really. Oh, I'm sure I'm, you've said that. It's not that, it's not that I'm... Um, I'm like, <clears throat> oh my! I, I can't, I cannot touch it. It's just I'm not bothered. Yeah, not like Sam. I know what you mean, actually. Sam, Sam starts at about eight thirty in the morning. <laughs> from what I gather, what oh. his cornflakes? I'm the same yeah. as Ryan, actually. Are you really? Yeah, yeah that I doesn't surprise I don't me. Mind. It's like I can have it, have not have it. It doesn't really matter to me. Yeah. See, with you, that doesn't surprise me because you're such a kind of all round nice guy. But with Ryan, <laughs> I mean, he's he's northern i i just mentally picture him with a pint in front of him at all times i don't know why because you're prejudiced against him (laughs) (laughs) yeah could be could be i i'm i'm not going to deny that my mum don't drink either at all oh right it's kind of i don't know just um i can take it or leave it yeah i know what you mean i don't the, the the yeah yeah, I'm, I'm not one of these people who, like craves it. Like, oh, I can't wait till I finish work and I can have a pint. It's like I'm more. I think I'd be in trouble if that was me. Yeah, yeah. I do as well. <laughs> that, that that feels like a line when you <laughs> when you crave it. Yeah, I have moments. I have moments. You know, if I'm really stressed, just a you know a glass of wine or a pint of cider or whatever just will kind of calm me. But that's about it. A pint of cider, living where you live. That's a bit of a stereotype. Yeah, well, I, I am a walking stereotype. Except not in a... Except yes and no, you see. Oh. that This is the trouble, is that if I was a proper West Country lad, I'd drink cider, which you could stand a stick up in, you know, the, and not fizzy. Mm-mm. But actually, I'm a bit of a girl. I like fizzy cider. No, I like so. a fizzy cider. In fact, one of my favourite things that I've discovered down here is Tasmanian cider. Ooh. I know, and it's like a mixture of apple and pear that they obviously grow in Tasmania, and right. it's called—I've forgotten what they call it now. Oh shit, I've forgotten the name of it. Oh well, there we go. You're not going to get it back in there anyway. So who the, who the hell? It cares? is funny. It is funny, mine, that everybody that I know that's ever gone to Australia has to send me a photograph of James Beer, uh, Boag beer, and you were no exception. Is, I don't is, think I've ever sent you a picture of James Boag beer. Yeah, I think you did. Did I? Was it not you? Oh, no. perhaps I imagined it. Oh, well, there you go. Good <laughs> for you. Good for you. <laughs> if, 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 I, if I look through my like catalogue of photos over the years, Paul, every now and again there's a random one of the back of some bloke's head because he looks like you from a certain angle. And it's oh, like, yeah, that's it. the other You're very everywhere. common. You're everywhere. Yeah. On, you know, London Underground, sat in restaurants. That guy looks like Paul. Click. I well, have, you, <clears throat> have, you, have you ever seen the TV show Orphan Black? I'm yes. just saying. That's me. I'm part of some secret government program. In fact, I've never watched it, so I don't know whether it's part of the secret <laughs> government program. But and I thank imagine you. it is. Thank you to all those people that go to Brighton and photograph the shop front of the shop that's called Malarkey. Seen yeah, that a few times now. Thank you. 
It's not. It's not that we're all as as a human race. It's not as if we're all predictable, but we are. So there we go. So uh, moving on from that, I'm bored now. <laughs> I'm really tired, Paul. I'm really we, tired. Is anyone else no, really tired this morning? Yeah. 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 Well, do you know? Do you, the problem is, it's handy. Yes. He's ruined this podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's also because no. we've got mini jet lag because the clocks went full. No, no, it's all Andy. It's, all right, well, it's, all it's Andy. partly. <laughs> no, but here's the thing because we were, I think we were 11 hours different, and now yeah. your clocks have sprung forward. So yeah. that means that we're now not 10 hours different. And then I think next yeah. week our clocks go back, so we'll only be nine hours different. So if you would like to adjust the timing of this podcast, then that would be fine with me. Okay. That's useful to know. That's very kind of you. It's all right. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Right. I that- and the irony is, the irony is, oh, we need to do it in the morning. We're doing it. We're on episode 12, and you've only just <laughs> got to friggin' Australia. So that's like 12 episodes where we've got up at 10 in the morning to record a friggin' podcast for no good reason. I've been here nearly a month now. Yeah, well, whatever. Anyway. But you weren't on the first couple of weeks, were you? Because you were moving. <laughs> God, well, I'm sorry if I inconvenienced you. You do. You're no, you're not sorry. I don't think I'm going to invite you to the next series of my podcast. <laughs> do you have one anymore? I thought you. I'm talking about up. this one. I'm talking about oh, this one. I see. <laughs> This is now your podcast, is it? All right, yeah. okay, fair enough. Talking of next season of the podcast, just to remind everybody to um, submit talks, please. I'm getting really desperate at this point, so send me send me some send me some talks. Look, I'll I'll even I'll even create it for you. I'll write it for you. I'll present it for you. <laughs> just, anybody just... that gets there, anybody that submits a lightning talk for next series of my podcast on this URL um, will get a. Free copy of Hardboard Web Design in PDF format. How about that? There's a thing. I'm going to throw that out there. Just bloody submit something, you wimps. (laughs) When's the deadline? Well, when we're recording the first one. I don't know. Let me have a look. I I, I have a note, an ongoing note in my notebook that says lightning talk at the bottom of the page. And then I turn over the page and I write it again. Then I turn over the page and I write it again. Yeah, but you doing one isn't really quite what I was looking to achieve from this process. You want, you want some kind of content, I'll, don't you, Paul? Yes, I'll take anything at this stage. Exactly. The first, I mean, to be fair, the first one isn't released until the 1st of June, but we'll be recording it, so we'll need them in by the 24th of May. Um, you so do you know I'm away it? for about a month in, in May and June. Oh, you really... <laughs> Just for you, Paul. Oh, for Pete's <laughs> sake. Maybe we should have that conversation offline. <laughs> Does that mean I have to have Andy on the show with me? Oh, no, please no. I'll have to get up at 5am or something ridiculous. Look, we'll anybody that submits can have a free copy of my book. There you go. There's no bloody excuse. And I'll even well, give you a actually, free copy of Paul's book as well. To, to be quite honest... I, I don't think that either of those things would be an incentive, Andy. I haven't got anything else I think to if give, anything, though, have I? What, what else have I got? I haven't got anything else to give. <laughs> you've, got, you've got all your, your possessions in storage in the UK. Just kind of randomly give away something you've got in storage. Oh, yeah, here's an old lamp. Yeah. <laughs> Bring your own bulb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. Add your own plug. So yes, yeah. You obviously you could have a copy of of digital adaptation as well. The the other one, maybe not. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, I have got something I'll give you. 
but we'll come on to that in a minute. Uh, it's got to let's a stage where we're having to bribe the listeners, though. I, I know. Oh, it's really quite pitiful, isn't it? <laughs> lovable. All that is good. Last time I'm ever trying to do something right and good. Yeah, because that's all that's, I can say. That was your motivation all along, wasn't it? It was. Well, no, it honestly was. Yeah, I know it was. Honestly, everybody thinks so bad of me. Let's talk about a sponsor. Ooh, who's Please the sponsor start... this week, Paul? Well, because cause this is why I need content for next season, because otherwise I can't get sponsors. I've got people that are paying to be your sponsor on next, year, next season's show, and I've got no content for it. It's fine. Anyway, let's talk about this year's season sponsors, which is Teacup Analytics. So and this is the product that I use all the time that I, I keep telling you about. So it's essentially a, um, an application that sits on top of Google Analytics, takes all the, the complexity of Google Analytics and helps simplify it into a set of easy to digest um, reports. Because let's be honest, Google Analytics is incredibly powerful and incredibly good, but is very overwhelming, especially um, when you put it in front of clients. Um, and it, so as a result, a lot of us uh, who work on the agency side or, um, um, uh, you know, working with people that don't understand necessarily all of this kind of stuff, what we end up doing is spending hours creating reports for clients every month to update them on what's going on on their site and try and take what's in Google Analytics and simplify it so that they can understand it. But even with our reports, we tend to overstuff them. We answer too many questions in one go. Um, and, and people just don't want all of that kind of complexity. They get paralyzed by it. They don't know what to do with it. So what Teacup Analytics does is it, it provides uh, a large number of smaller focused reports. So a report on a specific question, like, is my bounce rate too high or, you know, or, um, are users completing my call to action that kind of thing so very very specific questions that um a client can go in and see very clearly whether or not those um questions have been answered um and each um so each report answers one question and it provides you just the relevant information for answering that question which of course helps clients and yourselves make better decisions about um your uh, products and services and where to take them next you can find out more about that at boag.world forward slash teacup analytics and i realized that when i talked about um uh, uh submitting content i didn't actually give out the url to submit content which is probably why we haven't had any yet and that url is boag.world forward slash season 18 right Okay, let's... Marcus, I think it's about time you got to kick off. You very rarely get to kick off. I treat you like a second-class citizen sometimes. Oh, and I, thanks, I think that's Paul. Wrong. Thanks. That's all right. <laughs> you, you're a special in your own way. Oh, oh, I'm not quite sure. No, I know exactly how to take that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, this week I'm going to... Well, I'm basically going to ask, ask a list... I'm going to reply to a listener's question, which is as follows. Uh, this is a guy called Martin Fors, and he sent an email which said, I am a freelance web slash UX developer since 08 and still love getting up every morning. That's nice, isn't it? Well, that's a good start. Um, the only thing that troubles my mind these days is the risk of working for a sensitive, in uh, air quotes, client, screwing something up and getting sued I don't think you've talked in depth about your experience of this. 
What have you gone through? What could have happened? And how have you dealt with it? I bet the other two listeners would be interested in this as well. Keep up the good work. Keep ranting and don't stop doing the jokes. (laughs) I didn't say that. I'm sure you just added that. I don't remember that being at the end of the email. Anyway, um, to start, I guess the place to start is uh, in the 15 years that we've been running Headscape. uh, I can only I could only think of a couple of occasions when I've been worried about this sort of thing. Which is pretty good over 15 years. Mm. Um, but I, the place to start on this, because if, I guess if you're a sort of freelance, uh, a freelance designer or developer or whatever, I, I guess that you kind of maybe think, you know, if, if you're not a law person, and the only reason I know this is because we've been working with lawyers for quite a long time, um, is that the law is very much not a black and white thing. To, to be very cynical, it comes down to how much money you've got, how good your lawyer is. Um, and second, secondly, it comes down to interpretation of that law. So I guess that, that's the kind of starting place that I wanted to start talking about this. So really, the chances of being sued if you do something wrong are probably fairly slim, or they could be massively high. I know that's probably not what, what somebody, somebody wants to hear in this situation. But if somebody, wants, somebody in a powerful position wants to sue you, then they will, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, I've said many times... Uh, that pretty much any one of our clients could crush us. We're only a small company, um, contract or not, but they, they they almost certainly wouldn't. Anyway, I'm kind of rambling as ever. Yeah, I'm just going to go through my bullet points now. The one thing that is really, really important is to have insurance in place, um, professional indemnity in particular, because if you're cause screwing up suggests that you have done something that you shouldn't have done as a professional personal professional agency so your professional indemnity insurance covers you for that whether it would cover you for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of legal fees i I, i'm not sure but anyway you need to have that in place but the real bottom line here is if somebody does come to you who saying you've screwed up and i'm going to sue you or just if you've screwed up really um you need to sit down and talk to them and have a grown-up discussion about it because as i started this this particular piece Nothing's black and white here. And even when you've got two lawyers speaking to each other, it's not black and white. It's kind of their interpretation or whoever's better at arguing the point will end up kind of, they'll, they'll end up convincing a judge more that their argument is right. It's, it's, it's not necessarily a case of the contract says this, therefore that. Um, you see where, I'm, see where I'm coming from? It's basically, it comes down to a conversation between both parties and reaching an agreement that everybody is happy again air quotes with um i can remember two occasions with two different clients i mentioned that at the start um one they didn't threaten us with legal but they they threatened to not pay us for something which we hadn't done and it was perfectly reasonable for them them to suggest that was the case uh in that particular in that particular case um but i kind of argued the point that we'd done an awful lot more work in another area um so we were there to kind of and and they they accepted that and we kind of balanced things out based on on the fact that we hadn't delivered one thing but we did a delivered loads more of another thing uh, another client we were we got a letter from a large london law firm or a large worldwide law firm and you basically just take the opinion we'll do whatever we can to make this go away because if you end up getting into a courtroom 
you're going to a little business like us wouldn't be able to survive that because it would take I up so much it, of our time. Sorry, Paul. I, I, no, sorry, no, no, not at all. I think that the the other thing that with that particular incident that you're talking about that that really impressed me was the amount of quality free advice we got from the insurance company, mm. um, which it's not free advice because we're paying an insurance premium and it's in their interest for it not to get to the point where they have to pay out. Mm. But actually that was really, really useful. I remember Chris saying, um, you know, how much he appreciated them and they, they said how to gave us advice on how to deal with that particular situation. Mm. So that's another reason for having, you know, quality insurance in place. Um, But yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, it's like, because even the costs, even if you win yep. a case like that, the costs of fighting it is go- is going to be devastating. So you really, if if it does push come to shove, you just have to give the client what they want because it's cheaper to do that than it is to actually, um, you know, fight the the case. The only problem is is where the client turns around and tries to charge you for damages associated with not just the project because you can swallow the not getting paid for an individual project, but you can't swallow the price if they, um, they lost 2.5 million pounds in revenue because their e-commerce site was down. I guess that's what's insurance for. It is what insurance for, but it's also, I think the other thing is that's something that does need to be in the terms and conditions of your contracts that specifically says you are not liable for costs associated with, with, you know, yeah whatever yeah. you know what i'm getting at exactly um yeah and i think the other, i guess i'm going to make one final point it's of the two examples i gave you one person one one client was somebody that we couldn't we couldn't reason with uh the other one was and it mm. worked out you know everybody came out of that relatively happy so it's it, it have that conversation if you can see that things aren't working out just sort of be upfront about it talk about it and see if you can come to a mm. an agreeable solution but even the one that we couldn't reason with and couldn't come to a compromise over it and it didn't go to court did it nope you know we just basically had to swallow the the cost and walk away from it which Mm -hmm. was a hell of a lot cheaper than going to court definitely right ryan and and andy have you guys ever faced any of this i mean ryan you haven't (coughs) obviously been doing it for as long but i just Um, wondered i i had i had one instance where um I'd been hired by an agency to do uh, some development work on some designs that they'd produced. And I'd built all these templates and everything. And then their client pulled out, so they didn't right. want to pay me. Okay. Um, even though they're the ones that hired me, not their client. Yeah. Um, and I had, to get a, I had to get a solicitor involved just to claim the invoice back. It wasn't that much, to be honest. But they, they deliberately dragged it out where they just paid, like, a little bit each month yeah. for about six months. It was just a pain in the ass. Um, but one of the things that occurred to me as well when uh, when when uh, Marcus was talking was um, when he said something about you know um, you, you'd not done a certain thing and they didn't want to pay for that because you'd not done it but you had done a lot of other things in other areas. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're, I think it can happen a lot on a project where you end up doing more than you ever planned on doing. And you need to be really transparent with a client that you're actually spending more time on certain areas or you're doing extra things and they're getting extra value out of you because we can so often just end up spending an extra day or two making something really good and spending extra time and, and, and extra effort and then not 
not making that apparent to the client, so they're not aware of it. And then when when a problem does arise later down the line, and they say, "Well, you haven't done this," and you say, "Yeah, but we did all this for you." Well, I didn't know you'd done that. You know, you need to kind of communicate all the way along so that they're they're aware of the value because that adds to the relationship you've got with them. And then when there are problems, it's easier to discuss with them and say, "You know, well." we've run out of time to do this or we haven't done this area or, or whatever, but we did all that other stuff, remember? And you've kind of got it, you've got a little bit of, it's documented somewhere, it's got paper trail, you've had those discussions as they're happening. Um, that's something I've learned a lot over years, just mm. always communicate if you are doing extra things and why you're doing them. Yeah, mm. wise words. Absolutely. So, uh, Andy, I mean, have you ever come across this kind of situation? Because you've been doing this long time. Yes, longer than the time itself. Mm-hmm. Um yes. No, we had a couple of situations early on where um, I think this was when we didn't charge very much. And one particular person, you know, basically threatened after the end of a couple of weeks that, you know, he wasn't happy with how things had gone and, you know, he wanted his money back kind of thing. Um, And to be perfectly honest, when you get into a situation like that, it's often best just saying, you know what? my energy and my money and my time is best spent not dealing with this person. You know, if the guy wants a thousand quid back, which I think it was back in like 2004, um, then, you know, here's a thousand quid and I never want to speak to you again. Um, So what we've done on occasions like that is we've got people to sign termination of contract agreements. Ah, that's um, a good idea. Because, you know, at least then there's a document there that says, okay, you know, we signed a contract at the beginning. That contract is now terminated. You don't even need to really state the reasons. This money's been repaid back, and at least you've got something that they can't then come back on. Um, yeah. So that was really, but that was donkey's years ago. The one thing that I would say, um, and this isn't kind of like client related, but I had a situation which impacted the business about four years ago where I had to go legal with some other <clears throat> assholes, uh, people um, in the industry. Right. And um, I very successfully employed a very, very good lawyer to basically um, deal with that situation. But what I should have done, and this is something that I suggest that people do, is they, you should talk to your insurance company before you engage a lawyer. Because quite ah. often an insurance company will have somebody that they want to, you to use – and in my particular right. case, I actually had somebody that had, you know, worked with Ryan Giggs and other people um, that you might have heard of on news. And it cost yeah. me a lot of money. It was well worth it. It was worth every single penny. But, you know, obviously I would have preferred the insurance company to pay for that. So just check with your insurance before you hire um, the high court judge. I like that. We well, don't hire the judge. <laughs> Well, oh, maybe don't sometimes you, to... you do. do you Only pay... if you're very, very rich. How do you pay the judge? Uh, yeah, you don't pay the judge. You shouldn't pay the judge. That's considered a bad thing to do. Not even just the, the next time round. Bag of fifty pounds. Uh, no wonder it went very well for you. That's <laughs> what you pay the judge. Yes, I'm embarrassed. Okay, let's you. move I'm on from that. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, let's move on. I, I, I want to do me. Next, if that's all right, uh, just very, very quickly. I don't think mine will take that long. So uh, really, um, one of the things that um, I don't uh, – so I've just released a, a book recently. If I, I don't know whether I mentioned that. Recently, it's actually out and book? available. <gasps> I know, right? It's actually out and available. People can 
but go and download and buy it by the time this has come out. So um, very exciting. Um, but alongside that, what I've decided to do is produce a set of cards, um, like playing cards, really. There's 52 of them. And um, each card has got a tip or technique on it. Because one of the things that um, I, I find is the biggest challenge that a lot of um, teams face, in-house teams and even agencies face, is getting people in authority and power to take user experience seriously, right? We're really good as an industry at um, doing user experience, but we're not so good at selling, promoting, cajoling, encouraging others to value it and take it seriously. And that is essentially the theme of, of, of the book aimed at internal teams of how that they can effectively transform their organization to be more user-centric. But I kind of wanted to produce um, a set of very kind of tangible little things that you can do on a daily basis that will begin to shift people's attitudes towards user experience and that kind of stuff. So that's why I produce the set of cards. Now, the cards come free if you get the book, but but also I'm, I've put them online so you can view them online absolutely free, um, but you can download them as a PDF if you've got the book because that way you, you can refer to them. The idea is you can kind of refer to them every time you're feeling a bit stuck and overwhelmed. Um, but you can also, if you don't get the book, you can buy the PDFs, but 100% of anything you spend, you pay as much as you want on the PDFs and 100% um, of what you decide to pay for the, for the PDF download goes to the charity that I support in India for the education of girls, right? So... Ideally, I want to, you to spend 20, 30, 100 pounds on downloading a PDF, if that's okay. But set that aside. You can look at them for free online um, and, and read them all. So um, you can get to them by going to boagworld.com forward slash UX dash culture dash cards. Um, and they're all available and each one. Um, so let me let me kind of tell you one or two so you just kind of get a sense of the, the kind of thing that they've got. So um, one, for example, card is called Introduce Competition, and it reads, often parts of the organization are unofficially competing with one another. Use that to your advantage by creating a game. Score the teams on their user experience and offer a, um, a prize to the team who scores the highest. This will bring out a competitive spirit amongst departments. All right. Might be a bit of a silly one, that one. Um, but then another one might be um, something like target the selfish gene. Don't try and convince uh, management and colleagues to care about ex uh, the user. Instead, focus on the things they already care about. Show, the, uh, show them how a better user experience will help them achieve their goals and benefit them personally. All right. So it's lots of little kind of tidbits like that. And there's kind of 52 of them. And I just think, you know, it's quite a useful little thing to have to to help people um, encourage others to take user experience properly. So, yeah, that's my my little tip of the day. Nice. So there you go. Nobody's lots got of tips of the day, Paul. Yeah. Many, yeah, many, many tips. Many, many. 52. Yeah, mm. 52. And I, I'm, I, I'm, I've got to say, I'm almost more pleased with the thing that I'm giving away free than I am with the book, which is a bit embarrassing, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> 
the hard copy book hasn't landed on my desk yet, Paul. No, the hard copy is not coming out until the 18th of April. Um, the ebook version is going to come out um, on the 30th of March. So it'll already be out by the time this show goes out. Um, so, and you can order your copy, um, Marcus, anytime you want. Well, so if I want to buy another one? No, 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 no. <laughs> if, you, if you want one. Another one. <laughs> yes. Thanks, Paul. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> <clears throat> I, I'll no. download the PDF. Oh, of course you can have a book. Oh, it's not just PDF as well. You can get it Kindle format. Kindle be, actually, that would be the best for me. Yeah, you you like it. I'll send you the Kindle format. Of course it will. Thanks, mate. I haven't got it myself at the moment, so, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> um, Do you need it, though? Don't you know what's in it? <laughs> well, no. <laughs> Is it ghost ghostwriting? <laughs> but don't you find this? I mean, perhaps it's just me, but I forget what I've written. I honestly do. Does that mean you have that sometimes awkward thing where you read something and you think, oh, that sounds clever? Yeah. <laughs> Very rarely. Must be really rare, though. Oh, shut up. <laughs> The funniest, actually, the the funniest thing is where you you get stuck on something, right? Um, And you Google it to get the answer, and it's your own website that comes back number one. (laughs) I've had that that happen to me a few times. That really amuses me, but there you go. All right, um, let's move on from that. Sam, you wanted to talk about the Makers Academy. Now, this confused me because you're a project manager. Indeed. What's this about? So Makers Academy is something that I was introduced to back in 2013. I think they started then. Essentially, at the time, um, I believe the claim is exactly the same now, um, but when I heard of them, there was sort of no evidence. The claim was that they will take anybody from pretty much knowing nothing about uh, development and turn them into a junior level engineer ready to be hired in 12 weeks. Yeah, they still say that on their website. They do indeed. So when I first heard that, I was pretty sceptical, to say the least. Um, Uh But let me tell you the story, and maybe I'll change your mind. So yeah, back in 2013, um, I was at a stand in Silicon uh, Milk Roundabout, which is a tech fair in London. And we met four of these people that had graduated from Makers Academy. And they were really, really lovely people and everything. The really interesting thing about these people is the background they have. So when you typically think of juniors i think it would be fair to say most people would think that most would be in the younger age range yeah but with makers academy because they they sort of it's essentially a chance for people to get into the industry or and change their career so what we actually had out of those four so we had one person who was a production assistant at the time in the western theater for things like matilda um, we had another one in in sort of senior banking but knew nothing about development whatsoever so it was incredibly interesting people to say the least Mm. Um, what I would say is that one benefit of using someone like this is that people like taking people into your organization who have already had fully established careers is, mm. is actually really amazing. So imagine like junior engineers, but with the commercial awareness that supersedes yours in many cases, it's a really mm. strange dynamic. Um, so where was I? Yeah. So they were really lovely, but I was still skeptical. Um, yeah, but we said, I still can't help know, but think, know. you know, that's really useful, but, you know, <laughs> are they actually going to be able to code? So we sent them our technical test at the time, and they came back, and I'll tell you what, they all of them blew us away. Like, really? we, we could not believe the quality we were getting. Now, we were our main um, code was code base was Ruby then, and that was that happens to be the main one of um, Makers Academy, it was at the time. Right. But even still, it was, it, was above, it was above some of the sort of levels of some of our mid-level engineers. 
It was right. it was really it was almost suspicious, I guess you could say. But um, we went through all the due diligence and actually ended up hiring two of the of the four. Right. Um, and do you know what? They worked out great. I've actually since hired another one and have worked with a few others at other companies, and they seem to be essentially churning out bloody good uh, engineers. Um, so I just thought I'd talk a little bit about them, really, a bit of free publicity, because I think they, they deserve it. They're a really nice bunch of people, um, yeah. and they, they, the, the quality level seems up there. So I just got to give a few little uh, little bits about it, really. Um, that's that's really good, because I've got to be honest, mm. I, I just presumed it was a load of bollocks. Yes, and um, there's a video of me online. I think they took it about a year after I first hired some, and, and I, there's me saying that, exactly that, just flat yeah. out wrong. Um, the, I mean, to be, to, to, to be fair, I'll come onto this at the end, but the main, the only reason I didn't hire all of them was purely because of a, a fit issue. I mean, I think that's something to talk about, mm. but it was nothing to do with the technical quality. They were all amazing. So the, in terms of the model, um, essentially students will sign up to the course, um, and they, and Makers Academy have hiring partners. So in this example, I was a hiring partner, but it isn't just a case where I'm on a list and, you know, I can ask for some people at the right time i they literally do partner with you so they were encouraging me to go in and meet all of the all of the students um they would let me do if i wanted to they'd let me do talks they'd let me really lots sort of really full access to all of the students so you can work out who you have a rapport with who looks good who, who you think wow. will fit for your company um and also, once they get to know who you are, very much like a recruitment agency, but slightly better because they really understand more so, I think, because they're in the world, they yeah. will suggest candidates to you. So if they see a candidate that's got, say, you know, attributes in this area or that area that they know a certain hiring partner will, will really value or really need, then you know, they'll introduce someone and someone. Um, in terms of the tech, they, they teach at the moment like Ruby on Rails, Ruby, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, you know, jQuery, Node, everything, Git. TDD databases, and interestingly, they've just partnered with Amazon um, to introduce students to Alexa programming in Ruby. So that's quite a cool little, little partnership mm-hmm. they've got going there, and also shows they're, they're sort of established now. You know, when I started, they were like I think about five, six people. Um, and then I thought the other final thing is that they also teach. They don't just teach the technology; they also teach uh, a sort of an agile, but more the mindset of, a, of an engineer. Yeah. They they're really, really um, uh, passionate about teaching development or engineering as a craft and a philosophy rather than just sort of you know a job make money um which is absolutely the right way to teach and i think the only thing i would say is that if you're a hiring partner you just have to make sure that the the attitude the culture the character of the person fits your company because everyone who goes in there is kind of indoctrinated into this this actually very um great world where you know as as i say code is code is craft you know um but really, it was just to, to, to put a bit of bit of a word out for them, really, because they're still going now. They're partnering. They're growing. Um, I'm still so I'm where I'm working now. There was a couple of people that have come through, and again, the quality was just really up there. But yeah. also for people listening who might want to do the course, so you know, it's quite intense. I believe it's not just you know you go there in the morning and leave in the in the afternoon. I think they're quite intense. They have socials. They have you really have to live yeah. the life for twelve weeks. But the the the, the rate that they're churning out people. Of quality it's just worth a little mention on here i thought so for people that either yeah. want to hire or or looking to get into it or maybe even you know was a designer wants to get into development that's that's one way to do it um that's makersacademy.com so uh, they, they're suspiciously um lacking on information regarding price 
Yes. So as a, an employer, mm-hmm. did you is it do you play essentially like a recruitment thing? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I mean the, the good thing about these people is they're they're still sort of I believe privately owned, and so you can sort of negotiate. So I think you know okay. us personally had like a bulk thing going on if we hired sort right. of ten in a year or whatever, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a fee, but it's like, it's no, it was no, I don't remember it being particularly more than typical recruitment fees, but this time you're getting that all of these people aren't, aren't just recruiters who happen to work in that space. They're actually people that used to do exactly what we do and have just mm-hmm. decided to go off and do this, this other stuff. So they really, they really know their stuff. And you, when you're talking to them, they just get everything you say. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I, I haven't got a problem. I'm not, uh, you know, you, you, you paying a fee is, is an understandable thing. Mm-hmm. And, and also it keeps the cost more reasonable for the individual maker, you know, the people that are going on the, co- uh, the, the course as well. Talking of which I've just found their page mm-hmm. on that. So if you go for the 12 weeks in person, it's 8,000 pounds, mm-hmm. or you can do it online for 4,000 pounds. Yeah um and then it's got ah oh, they've got a women's discount that's interesting they, they they've got that they they even i think if you look at there's one page that shows a typical day and i think at 2 p.m you have half an hour of meditation as part yes. of the course you know they've that, got a certified yeah. yoga instructor yeah. yeah they really they really go for it <laughs> yeah so, interesting. so yeah it was just fascinating i genuinely went into the whole process thinking it was absolutely rubbish there's no way they're, they're, they're going to put people in front of me sure but the quality is just not going to be there and for the the, the platform that that my company was working on at the time it, was, it wasn't just a kind of churning out website type thing it was a very comp- complex hardcore uh, software development-esque platform and they came in they picked it up and they're all over london now working for big companies you know you've got sky uh, thoughtworks financial times uh, marks and spencers you know big companies are taking these on now and they're working out great okay let's uh, let's move on to to ryan because he I, I wanted to go on to Ryan Sam. I'm sorry to cut okay. you a little bit short on that. It's, it's just that Ryan has got the best named app in the world. It's a it's a kids app. I'm sure. Go well, on, I'm Ryan. assuming this is how you pronounce it. Wacker time. Wacker time. <laughs> With Timmy Mellet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, Wacker time. W a k a time. Dot com. Um, and it's a little tool I've been using. Um, it's a dead simple little thing. It plugs into your code editor and it gives you analytics and metrics on, um, you know, how much you're coding, how long you're coding for, what languages you're coding in. Um, and it gives you, it's got a nice dashboard with it. You can, the, just the free membership will send you like a weekly summary of it kind of keeps all your data for a week and then it deletes it but it'll send you the weekly summary via email and i've just found it quite useful for just getting a getting an idea of how much time i'm actually this is obviously how much time you're physically coding you know actually mm. typing keys into your editor um which is a bit scary when you actually look at the time when you get the time back and you go actually i've been sat typing into the code editor on that project for that many hours that's quite scary but it's quite good for just um getting an idea of how much time you spent on a project you know particularly when you're you know rather than having to track your time by the minute you kind of you get more of an overview of you spent 18 hours coding on this project this week and three hours coding on that project this week and it just gives you i've just found it really useful to just get a, an overview of uh, of what progress i'm making on different projects it's interesting because it's not even just coding apps it's got sketch in here as well oh yeah i've not noticed that yeah. I've, only, I've only used it for coding so yeah it'd be, yeah, be interesting yeah so it, well, it, it tracks usage of an app so yeah. um, you know that you you install the plugin. So I suppose anything that 
um, supports plugins could potentially, you know, use this service. Um, but uh, yeah, I've, I've, not, I've not used it for obviously. I've not. I've obviously not used it for design because I'm not a designer. But no. um, but yes, yeah, I've found it really useful. Yeah, that's a good little tool. I like that idea. Because, yeah. I mean, especially for things like, you know, when you're on, um, uh, uh, you know, to, to see the profitability of your product, projects or yeah. to make sure that, you know, what you're charging to a client is at least vaguely accurate, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. It's one of those things that you kind of install it and then you, I mean, I've, 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 I installed it and thought, oh, this is great. And then I forgot about it. Yeah. But it was still sending me emails each week saying, oh, here's a report. And now I can look and just search for Wacker Time in my email and just see week after week how much where I've spent my time on my projects. So it's quite cool. cool. But their dashboard's really nice as well. If you if you only kind of pay, do the paid one, it'll retain your information for longer periods of time. And you can actually, it's got all nice graphs and everything. But it's, uh, yes, yeah, nice little app. Good, good, good. That's a nice one. And then let's finish off with Andy, who has got probably the bizarrest pick I think I've ever seen. Why do we care about CBC? This is a weird one. This is not CBBS. I know that that's your favourite TV (laughs) programme. This is. This is CBC, which apparently is Canada's public broadcaster. And this is a reproduction book of the CBC Graphic Standards Manual. Now, I know, we'll stay You're awake. such a nerd. You <laughs> really are. Awake. Now, graphic manuals, reproductions of graphic manuals, have just become really popular over the last year or so, particularly with people that, you know, like to work or talk about design systems. And I've already talked about the New York Transit Authority's manual and the NASA Star Guide brand guideline graphic design book on the podcast a few weeks ago. And today's book is another really good reproductions project on Kickstarter. It's a limited edition, faithful reproduction of this 1974, Marcus will remember, CBC graphic standards manual. And the aim of this project is to create this limited edition reproduction of the book. And it's going to be reproduced in its entirety, the original size, really high quality. There's going to be 200 high resolution scans of all these kind of design artifacts, just like they appeared in the original document. And then they're going to wrap it all up in this really nice uh, five color foil stamped cloth cover, which sounds great. Anyway, you can pledge to buy a copy for 94 Canadian dollars, which to save anybody looking it up is about 56 quid, which it's not cheap. Why? But books of this quality, <laughs> they're not, they're usually not this. So anyway, listen, ignore Paul. This book is currently 50% funded. It's got about 15 days to go as we record this on the 27th of March. And I don't care. I really want this book in my collection. So go find the link in the show notes and pledge they they've raised 34,000 us uh, sorry canadian dollars towards this that's it's incredible loon, loon, loon is loon is in canada mm-hmm. no it's, I, I, it's obviously very, i think it is very much <laughs> i think it's very much a beloved canadian brand yeah. and if this was like the bbc actually i would be uh-huh. tempted yeah but you know I don't think I would be if 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 it wasn't my country. Well, so, but this is Andy, Andy is a bit peculiar. So well, there you go. it's not that. It's just that I like to see 
design thinking and workings out. And this sort of brings me on to my sort of actual topic, really, which is, you know, we graphic design books like this are, you know, really popular. But if they just show the end result, well, that's only kind of like, you know, 20% of the story. And if you think about, you know, the work that goes into a piece of graphic design, the other 80% is really mm. fascinating. And then if you magnify that by, let's say, an entire web project, let's take a great big juicy project that, you know, I've done or Headscape have done or No Divide have done or whatever. Think about all of the stuff that's gone into it from getting the brief right to the sketches and the original concepts and all the way through the design details and all the sketch cock-ups and the front-end code and the HTML and the CSS and all that kind of stuff. That could be not only just like a fascinating book, you know, it could be a real eye-opener, but it'd be really useful to learn as like a project case study. Mm. But no, nobody's making Correct. those books anymore. You know, nobody's actually mm. writing a book about a project. And I would love to see somebody make like, you know, a book apart size, 80 to 100 page book or more on a particular project. It'd be brilliant. Mm be like a bit mm. of web history and a bit of learning all wrapped up together, you know, preserving things for your posterior. <laughs> I found, because obviously we, we write case studies to go on our site. Uh, we're not quick enough about producing them, but when we finally get around to doing it, I found in the past where I've really wanted to show a bit of the story that I've had to persuade the client, um, you know, with a bit of arm twisting to let us show kind of early design work and that kind of thing. Mm. But some, some, some are up for it. Um, as long as you kind of, as long as they get sign off of, of the, you know, the final case study, but it, it, it's an interesting, uh, process because you just think everybody's interested in this, but some people aren't, they just no. want to, they just want to show you the final thing. I think you're doing it all wrong. What you do is you finish the project, as we all know, you deliver it. Then maybe six months later, you make up some post-its, put it on the wall, take a picture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we never do that. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what they used to do at art college or I used to do at art college. I always just used to come up with the idea produce it then work some bullshit justification of why i did it the way i did i'd be really sensible and you could actually write the fact that you wanted to be publishing all of the workings out and the early designs etc into your contract which is what i do ah that's a good idea i like that coming back to what i was talking about earlier though i've 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 had that we have a, a not a detailed clause, but basically saying we, you know, we have the right to produce case studies, etc., referring to your work. Now, I've had I've had clients sign contracts that say that, and then have then said later, "Ah, oh, actually, no, sorry, we can't do that. We're not allowed to." And it just it, that underlines what I was saying earlier on about really, if they're yeah. if they're a big corporation and they say no, um, you have to agree to it. Sadly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, on that cheerful note <laughs> sorry about that God. let's do the last sponsor and then wrap this show up because i because because i've got other things to do with my life far really. more important things than far more important things <laughs> so our second sponsor is proposify um which helps you improve the success rate um of your proposals through good data it provides lots of data that you can make use of um so it's easy to see the status of all of your deals all the proposals that currently are out 
you're able to also see the entire team if there's there's multiple of you um, and contribute to each other's proposals and to the process. So so you can easily work with documents together, um, which is a, a really key thing. Um, you can also give you data about when people have opened the email you sent to them with the proposal, when they've actually opened the proposal itself, how long they've read it for, all of those kinds of things, which is incredibly useful What as you sit there wondering whether anybody's actually bothered to look at the thing that you spent bloody ages working on not that i'm bitter um uh, you can see which team members have made edits to proposals you can um comment on each other's proposals and see that kind of stuff you can also monitor everybody's success rates um by your um, either team individuals or clients there's loads of data um, and it also offers you snapshots about what's happening right now in your sales pipeline. So it, it almost helps you manage your sales pipeline as well because it includes information like what's due, what's waiting for sign off, what has been signed off, et cetera, et cetera. So it's definitely worth something check, uh, something worth checking out if you are in, uh, involved in creating proposals, um, and especially so if there's a team of you that do it. Although, uh, you know, I've used it for um, for just me. So it, it's it, it kind of helps in any situation really you can find out more at proposify.biz forward slash boag world i suppose we have to do marcus's joke it was quite nice last week not having to have a joke but, i have another you know, i've got a proposal story that i've got to tell you first see i've got a call in a few minutes marcus Spit it out. anyway basically i was kind of invited to uh reply to a, a public Invitation to tender. So, oh, yeah. oh, I think you ought to go. To go you know, we'd like it if you uh, yeah. responded to this. Anyway, long story short, I sent the proposal in, uh, you know, within the time I was meant to, et cetera, et cetera. Followed up a couple of days later because I said, you know, can you please confirm that you've received it? Uh, and they said, oh, we've had to, uh, we've had, we've had to disqualify your proposal because you didn't send us a paper copy. Oh, for Pete's sake. <laughs> Just got to share that one. Isn't, isn't that the joke this week? <laughs> yeah, well, it's pretty, pretty good. Yeah, pretty sad joke. Yes. Jesus. And nobody communicated that to you. Nobody yep. came back and had a... To, to be honest, you're well away from the project. Uh, it's just staggering, isn't it? It's, look, we, didn't, we didn't send a paper, paper proposal for a digital project. I'll tell you what, that's a oh, dodgy bullet right to, there. To, to a company... Uh, no, not a company, to uh, a public sector organisation that, that is uh, a conservationist. Um, <laughs> that has, it certainly is, has conservation aspects to what it does. Oh, that is just joyous. That's yes. amazing. Isn't it? <laughs> oh, Marcus. That is the funniest joke you've ever told. <laughs> yeah. Could we actually not do a joke now? Because I really feel that that, that ticked all the boxes. There you go. Oh, I'm fine with that, Paul. That is unbelievable. Yeah. Oh, it makes Jeez. me so angry. The amount of work you would have put into that. Yeah, that was easily a day's work. Just just thrown in, in the bin. Not even read. There's now behind the time places, Aaron. So, on that cheerful note, we're doing really well this season. That's it. Oh, episode, whatever. <laughs> Who cares, right? End of show. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye.
Hallelujah. 